0: Oh, independent monthly podcast presented by the Academic and Special Libraries section of the Library Association of Ireland. It's a podcast by librarians featuring librarians talking about libraries. I'm your host Laura Rooney-Ferris and I'd just like to thank everyone who tuned in to the first episode and big thanks if you're tuning in for the second time. The first one didn't put you off. Thank you. Um, Jane Burns was quite a hard act to follow so I've had to double up on guests this month. Uh, Tom Marr and Mick O'Dwyer are zine librarians and they're the guardians of the Forgotten Zine Archive. Mick and Tom talk to me about everything from putting damaged books in the freezer, vampires, flying non-records and of course zines. Enjoy! Okay, so I'm here with uh, Tom Marr and Mick O'Dwyer who are the people behind the Forgotten Zine Archive. Thanks guys for... um... Joining me on the second ever Librarians Allowed uh, podcast. So this was the first thing I kind of want to talk to you about or ask you about is how you got into the library world or what what brought you both into the library world. What interested you in coming into librarianship?
1: Yeah, thanks for yeah, having us. story. Yeah, know it's a pleasure. We listening to the last episode and obviously it'll be tough uh,
2: Jane did set the bar pretty yeah, high that's tough, why tough. I have to have two guests
0: this time how, yeah.
2: can, how can anybody follow Jane Burns <laughs> yeah that, that's why there's two of you <laughs> yeah
1: but I mean by the same token I can't anyone follow us the next i you have, have to get have, eight have, to have yeah.
0: three or four yeah. guests at least on the next one
2: just get Arkham in
1: turn.
2: Uh how did I get in oh yeah um, well I did a different master's in UCD back in 2006. I did a master's in history and I was in, I guess I was in the library the whole time there, because um, it was like a, a research master's. Um, and when I finished, I had a vague idea to get into teaching and to be like a teacher, but I obviously I had like bills to pay off and I finished it. And um, and I wanted to go traveling. Um, so I just kind of got a job to to pay off those bills, and then I I went to Australia for a while. Um, but I quickly lost interest in being a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, what?
0: <laughs>
2: what dissuaded you from becoming a teacher? Oh, just um, I don't know, just having to 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 teach <laughs> every day. <laughs> to actually do the job. <laughs> oh, so, <right. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I I guess I I was only a vague interest but um but yeah, no, I, I I quickly decided I didn't want to be a teacher. And it was always at the back of my mind. I always loved libraries and I always used them um to go back and to do to become a librarian, but just the thought of doing another masters was was something I didn't want to jump into straight away. So when I went to Melbourne, oh, well, I was living in Melbourne for a year and I was a member of the library there and I used to go to it a good bit. But then I moved to New Zealand for a year and I was living in Wellington and in Wellington they have this beautiful uh, public library. It's just in the the middle of Wellington Harbour and it just overlooks, you know, this loads of light come into it and it's just this beautiful um see in front of it and it's incredible, they have a really nice cafe they've got a brilliant book selection uh, and I just found out about this New Zealand record label called, <coughs> called Flying Nun Records and they lo- <laughs> yeah, but they, all of these like bands Kiwi bands like The Clean, The Chills and I didn't have a, a laptop when I was there so I used to go in and listen to them and read a book Um, And I was looking around at the librarians And they were all looking around, walking around You know, It just looked like they had the best job ever And I was just really envious of them Just (laughs) looking at them going, oh man Um, So I finally decided that was it I'd I'd go back and become a librarian And one day when I was in that library After I made the decision I said it to, I was checking out a book And I said it to one of the librarians I'm going to go back and become a librarian And she goes, don't (laughs) (laughs) Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's only contract work you'll never get permanent employment which goes I'm only messing mm. but, um, not really <laughs> but, not really don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah then I just decided to, to move home and uh, yeah I only really looked at SILS because um, I don't think the DBS wasn't accredited at that time yeah um, and yeah, so, yeah, I did sales, and then I guess that's it. I mean, I always had a vague interest, but it took me a couple of years to, to kind of get my head around it. And um, so, thank you, uh, Wellington Public Library, for. Yeah. <laughs> giving you really should write to them and tell them that <laughs> yeah. they're responsible
0: for your career choice.
1: I'm flying on records. Yeah.
2: Or was it flying. i yeah, flying on. Yeah. Yeah, 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 are they still going? Yeah, yeah. They just got back, uh, <coughs> they just actually started releasing records again and re releasing um like After like a got, hiatus. Uh, after a hiatus they sold the label and they bought it back, so um Yeah. yeah. But, um, You're selling,
1: selling a label and buying
2: Yeah. But I suppose we I guess we can discuss that in our, our Flying Nun yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well no, I
1: want to get to the point. Oh yeah, okay. You heard it here first, like, non-podcast on the way.
0: (laughs) What about you? What brought you into the library world? Or what
1: appealed to you about becoming a librarian? um, I guess when I was a teenager, I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I kind of figured, I'm not really all that good at anything. So, (laughs) like, I'm never going to be a doctor, I'm never going to be a lawyer or whatever. Like, I don't have the work ethic. Uh, future employers, you know, what So, you do have a strong work ethic, just you know, related
0: to life. Yeah, you know,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, the medical sciences, though, and a disaster. Um, so, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I really clicked, uh, like all the human, like you know, I'm talking in, in terms of subjects I did at school. Um, I didn't really click with, you know, the chemistries and the business and the whatever else. Um but I did really click with like English and Irish and those kinds of um humanities subjects I guess that are kind of like a bit there's a lot of interpretation, there's a lot of reading, there's a lot of um kind of flowery daydreaming, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh watching on and I, re- I really enjoyed that aspect uh of my school life. So when I went up to college then after the leaving service I was kinda of like, Well, what do I do? Arts, of course, because anyone who doesn't have a specific plan i guess just goes off oh, whatever go through arts and mm-hmm. um, while i was there i got really like i tried those different things and I, what really clicked with me was philosophy and um, i was there and i went off and i did a, a single major philosophy degree there um but of course philosophy being subjective it's it's not it's not very employable uh unless you're prepared to put in unless you eat sleep and breathe it and uh, it's difficult to get a job as a philosopher so um I was kind of like, well, this isn't that employable. What's, you know, what's another thing I could go into to do? And um, I picked librarianship. Obviously, one of the most employable job, uh, jobs out there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think I just, I think I just one day I saw the MLIS advertised on a cork board in UCD. Um, yeah, I think it was there just a flyer, like I just saw on like a stairwell or something like that. I was like, oh, yeah. Because I think I kind of had it in the back of my mind that I'd like to be a librarian like back in school, but I never like understood how you could go about mm. doing it or anything like that. Um, what was
0: your concept back then
1: of what did I This is it because, like, I really like as well as just really enjoying like the poetry and fiction we were reading and like the whole process of criticizing and analyzing and stuff like that. I really enjoyed hearing the stories behind the creators. Um, uh, you know, your kind of Sylvia Platts and your Robert Frost and your whoever else's. Um, but. One character that really fascinated me just because of how, like... May, mainly just kind of how he's presented by the teacher we had was Philip Larkin, mm-hmm. who, you know, presents as kind of like, you know, creepy old man or whatever. He was kind of like a bit short-tempered and, like, you know, he did this that famous poem about uh, kids' parents and how they fucked them up and whatever, mm-hmm. and that really appeals to any teenager yeah. with their salt. Uh, but it was like, oh yeah, you know, he worked in the library and, like, while he was working there. Uh, like he was writing his poetry and whatever else, and I had this kind of really idyllic picture of what being a librarian was—based on
0: Philip K. kind of grumpy old man sitting in a room full of books, giving <laughs> out of
1: his parents. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's kind of where it started, but like like any good daydream, it you know it uh, flew out from there. So yeah, I had pictures of like actually I'm working in the public library down the road, or in down the country somewhere, or. um you know, o- over in kind of you know Yorkshire or somewhere in the UK or something like that, mm-hmm. um, because the public library near me in Dundrum was quite an old building, so I kind of just assumed that a lot of them were like that, uh, and like a lot of them were as quiet and easy going mm-hmm. uh, as that one was, um, and it was kind of welcoming and um, whatever. Um, yeah, and so it kind of just grew from there, I guess, and then I was like, oh yeah, okay. Um, once I finish this philosophy degree, I'll go do that. Um, but I saw that on the application or on the application form, or the requirements and like that, you need work experience in order to graduate. Uh, and I was kind of like, well, I'm probably not going to get the work experience while I'm doing it, just because I'll probably be too busy or whatever. Um, you know, I didn't want to tax myself, now, mostly. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I took a year out and ended up working uh, in the private library of um, two elderly academics uh, down in Blackrock, And that kind of cemented in my mind that I was kind of like, oh yeah, this is really what I want to do. So like, I was in there and uh, they'd like got an extension yeah, on the back of their house. It was a really nice big old house. Um, and they wanted to use the extension as a kind of a study library, kind of office type situation. Um, so they'd kind of gotten all the shelving set up and they had a friend from America who was a librarian who kind of set them up with um, a uh, Library of Congress subject headings and kind of what we call those and everything like that and they kind of tweaked them around a little bit to suit their particular needs because some of the headings weren't like specific enough or some of them were too um, some of them like were so specific they would never use them and as well if they were going to like putting together the library had to work with the space that was available to them so they wanted the books that they used the most to be closest to the desk but if you were going to do it like uh, alphabetically according to the Library of Congress they would end up like on the other side of the room or whatever so we're kind of like okay well mm. instead of uh, all the history being in D I think you know we'll put it in P or something like that so it's, you know, it's right beside it where, where they are um, so yeah I was in there basically and they had a huge different know, like
2: 15-20 thousand books or something
1: uh, like that and this
0: was just in so someone's house. house yeah private house I mean what like t- what
1: type of books um, there were, everything, from A to Z, like, there was, <laughs> I mean, literally, uh, if, if you know Library of Congress, but, like, yeah, so they had, like, um, so, you know, from dictionaries to catalogs, they had, uh, I don't know, because they're both retired um, Irish language academics, but, uh, so, like, a lot of their books or Irish language books were, like, focused on the Irish language or linguistics or... Literature, that kind of stuff, but they also just had a lot of hobbyist interests. Um, among them was, like, local history. Um, they were kind of also quite religious, so they had lots of religious stuff. Um, they kind of... I don't know, like, when you're 80 and, like, you're fairly well-to-do, you kind of dip your hand into a lot of different things and you kind of... Mm. Especially if you have an affinity for books, like, one of... The, the husband of the couple um, collected books, like, rare books sometimes, and it, like, got to the stage for, like... His wife viewed it as a problem that, like, you know, she'd be kind of like, "Oh, I had loads of duplicates," and she's like, "Wait, okay, throw, <laughs> throw those out, throw those out." Yeah, fine, don't like, we don't need to ask him; just throw them out, whatever. Like, we have that one over there, or he's never going to read that, or something like that. And then, like, there'd be other times, where, like, he you know sneak in the back door or whatever with a bag from like Adams or somewhere like that. Where it's like, Shh, don't tell, you know, don't say anything. Uh, and like, you know, like, show me, you know, you'd be like, come over and you show me this. I'm like, it'd be some like 17th century, like. Catholic priests' uh, manual from like France or something like that, and you're just like this is like real realvel like it's all handwritten like whatever and you're just like this is insane valuable what are you doing like um but yeah, more money than sense I guess but um okay, yeah so it basically kind of people
0: didn't end up bankrupt because of their <laughs> <laughs> <birthday>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting this is
1: accrued over years say. and years um over like sixty years I guess mm-hmm. of
2: um kind of being an
1: academic with a lot of different
2: and what did they do with their books before they got you to sort them out did they have like they did did just lying around they had their own system or
1: uh, no they they were just kind of all over the house um, in various bookshelves and they most of them were in boxes at the
2: bottom of the garden in a shed and what um, made them like make a library uh, did, you, did you ask them know yeah. I
1: mean I kind of assumed it was just because like once Space. your house just gets big enough you're kind of like oh I should have a library because like I don't know um, I think like it was a family home and like so a lot of bedrooms and whatever would have been taken up with the kids but then when well, the kids grew up and left uh, I guess it was kind of um, maybe a bit empty so they are kind of looking for something to do with the house maybe uh, I don't know Um I, I guess they, like, because they wanted to turn, like, the shed at the bottom of the garden into a pottery workshop because the husband was really big into pottery and, like, making pots and stuff like that as well. Um, so, how long
0: so like, I guess it was a big project for him. On the project?
1: Uh, It was good for a year. Um, so I started work there before I graduated um, in my undergrad and basically kept working uh, until, I think, like, January of 2000 and. Eleven maybe, yeah, and then I was basically just kind of killing time until
2: September when the MLS started. Um, oh, so you did that the whole way through your your degree? No, I You're started like at the, the, end, end, of the end
1: of the degree and then basically was just working there for like a year, but oh, yeah. like I hadn't applied to the MLS. Um, um, Watching Yeah, and it's great. And like from just a personal point of view, I love libraries on a conceptual level as being like a physical embodiment of. Or well a lot of libraries uh, or my idea of libraries at the time i guess was this that they were the physical embodiment of like the totality of human knowledge or whatever on some level but, And that like subject headings and the like cataloging system was like a really ambitious project to try and classify anything a human could ever be interested in mm-hmm. and like yeah it was it you know like an old white guy came up with it or whatever like we're really like the fact that the Library of Congress classification system has, like, American history as, like, its own, like, fucking big, huge, fuck-off thing, like, and then it's like, oh, yeah, Pacific Island history it goes in this, like, tiny, subject sort jay of hanging over yeah. here or whatever whatever, um, like, they obviously have their biases and uh, whatever else, um, which is kind of natural on some level, Um but I don't know, that just really appealed to me, because, like, I don't know, I've, as point, when I came to uh, when came to peace, the fact that I'd never be very good at anything or any one thing, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, I want to be a little bit good at, like, <laughs> er, I want and know a little bit about everything, like, I don't know, it was... Um,
0: That's a good trait for a librarian, it's kind of what you have to do, is be
1: yeah, really don't... good
0: at finding out about absolutely
1: anything. Yeah, or, like, knowing enough to, like, set someone on their way. Yeah. But then, like, after that, just like, do a um, yeah so that's kind of and then went into MIS and the rest is history I guess mm-hmm. uh, sorry it was a very really long winded uh, answer uh, to a question
0: and does that I wonder does that library still exist
1: do you know yes. uh, well I assume, a couple, I mean they're both still alive mm-hmm. and they're both still living in the house so uh, I hope it does so um, you still
0: enjoying your
1: possibly your work uh, I wasn't that was literally my first experience of libraries ever so I probably did a terrible job <laughs> Um, like I wasn't qualified or anything uh, it was just that they were friends of the mother of a friend who like sent my friend an email asking if he knew anyone would be interested in doing it mm-hmm. and I was sitting right beside him in college when he got the email and he was like oh yeah you were talking about being a librarian oh, yes. I was like yeah <laughs> that was very handy for both
0: you and him <laughs>
1: yeah I know The uh, I mean it's like it was just such a valuable experience I guess I kind mm-hmm. of I feel a bit guilty having had that opportunity, because I'm like, oh, if someone else got it, they would have made like, it would have been so much more valuable to them or they would have done a way better job or they would have like, they would have deserved it a lot more than I did. Um, but I guess that's life as well. Like yeah. things, just, like half of it's luck really uh, as well and do that half's hard, hard work, I guess. Um,
0: it's a good way of learning something that you do learn as a librarian as well in terms of setting up libraries then. There are lots and lots of ways to do it, but yeah. essentially it comes down to the people who are going to use it and structuring around yeah. their needs. Yeah, the idea of designing a library to make the books that are used most frequently right, bes- right beside where the person is sitting.
1: Yeah, or just like I think, I, I think it was like a basement or garden level basement was like. See, it was te- kind of two rooms, but they weren't actually separated by doors. But there was like a chimney in the middle of it, but it was a mm-hmm. really wide chimney. But like one, one of the rooms was kind of lower. Um, and in like, a, if anyone remembers, in 2010, we had really heavy rain.
2: No, I, it, yeah, yeah, I don't remember. It was like <laughs> remarkably heavy, and there was a lot of flooding anyway. In here Dub-
1: Yeah, in, in Dublin, Dundrum Town Centre flooded. Oh, yeah. And during that, yeah. But that spate of rain anyway, um, one of the rooms flooded basically Mm -hmm. like a small amount. Which is fine, like all the shelves were raised, there was nothing like on the shelf on the ground, but there were a lot of piles on the ground that I was just like, oh, you know, cataloging stuff like really generally before like I went specific on it. And um, a couple of books got (laughs) damaged, kind of a couple of valuable books. Uh, Yeah. So they put in a call to like some person they knew in Trinity and was like, oh, in the Trinity library, if you're listening, uh, as an well, email or <laughs> tell her who you are or thanks. Um, but they were like, oh, what did you do, right? put it in a plastic bag, put it in the freezer, leave it there for like three years. And then when you take it out, the water, it won't have been water damaged at all, whatever else will be fine. Um, so like just little tidbits like that. that you yeah, really uh, yeah. So you're
0: probably very aware now, Yeah. Yeah, try a to... disaster management plan for libraries yeah. so, if you're ever in charge of it, a big
1: library yeah absolutely and even just like measuring like shelf space and like the oh they have one of those cool uh, ladders the wheelie oh, ladders I know oh what I love yeah. they were they weren't it was not maybe it's just kind of, I'm like a tall guy and like a little bit over right so I'm kind of it's like I'm not light enough to like whirl across
0: that looks like it would probably be dangerous too.
1: but um did you try I did try yeah, <laughs> did yeah, you injure yeah. yourself in the no, process of playing no, uh, did, did you break the ladder <laughs> <laughs> uh, the ladder did break but I wasn't there when it broke I think it was their grandkids or something who did it but uh, like, likely story <laughs> yeah. there were a lot of like the tip top shelf um, uh, was really high up um, and there were a lot of times when books like fell off there or like there were kind of like there was a lot of kind of high altitude uh, high altitude accident accidents but thankfully they weren't the body bones so no they aren't just them but um yeah, So I yeah
0: so yeah so what about whenever you finished um in ucd what were your first jobs out of out of the qualification
2: well i got a job whilst doing well it wasn't a paid job it was in one of our classes, no I think even in two of our classes, we'd one music librarian came in to talk um, and he in the class he said that uh, a librarian in d i t in Rap Minds would be looking for for some uh, help just doing a couple of digitization projects. Mm-hmm. so I got her email address off him. Roy something was his name. Hello Roy um. <laughs> That's We'll it. find Thanks. out his name We'll hunt him down and him personally. That sounds like an album Flying Nun would release <laughs> Hello Roy uh. Save this material for <laughs> yeah. Flying Nun yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. After all Roy um, So yeah no, I got her Catherine uh, Ferris Her email off Roy um, And he emailed her And So, I went in whilst doing our capstone um, and I worked on a couple of digitization projects with her uh, just for a couple of months. I worked a few days a week where I was scanning. Well, one big project was on the Dublin Music Trade project, which was Brian Boydell, who worked in Trinity, he'd made like a card catalogue of all the music uh sellers music instrument makers uh publishers in dublin i think it went from 1550 to 1750 just like a card catalog um so i digitized them and then she created this database and then i like uploaded them onto uh the system and i filled in metadata and i um so i i did that uh, and then i did a couple of di- other different things uh but i guess my first paid or I guess a jobs bridge is a paid job uh, yeah of I, sorts yeah uh, uh, <laughs> I went from there to work in Euroctis. Um so I was lucky uh, the Euroctis was looking for people to do work on a couple of different things there was one project was to create a subject resource portal uh, to be used for politicians and their PAs and then the other projects uh, that one that I, I uh, was working on was to catalogue um, a collection of pamphlets that they had called mm-hmm. the Dublin Castle Tracks and um, it was just this really 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 cool um, interesting collection of pamphlets that, uh, that they'd had for years in storage um, but they'd actually bought I mean their creation of the Oroctus Library in itself is really interesting that this pamphlet collection was created by the British administration and mm-hmm. um, they had created a library um, and when obviously when the Irish Free State came into effect they had no library themselves so they bought the library off the previous government off, well off the British administration but uh, so all the pamphlets in the collection were all like about rebels or you know the lots on Wolf Tone and the Act of Union and stuff but every now and again you'd find a really really random one that you just think why on earth would anyone like, mm-hmm. let alone you know British. Yeah, yeah. Why would they want this? Like there was one pamphlet about. I think it was about uh, a priest just like pontificating why people don't drink blood, and like not that he he wasn't saying he was a vampire or anything like that, but just like oh, it's not, it's not nothing against it in the Bible. I uh, mean, yeah. you drink this the blood of Christ every. For why we probably don't do.
0: You know, why don't we do? <laughs> the Bible's done not telling us not to. Yeah. I mean, we should just uh, have a free for all with our own blood. <laughs>
1: I mean, you drink the blood of Christ every mass, so like maybe that's what he was getting at. Oh yeah. Yeah,
2: When when
0: was this from?
2: Oh God, I can't remember. Uh, uh, It was probably the seventeenth, well, eighteenth century, eighteenth or nineteenth century. Um, But were we talking pre Bram Stoker's Dracula then, or uh,
1: possibly? Yeah. yeah. A post was a vampire to like the I don't know, there was like a book that like featured vampires but like these it was like vampire but it was like vampire stuff with a Y mm-hmm. and it was like a, an older prepare, doesn't matter. On, sure. <laughs> 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 no, it's very topical, isn't it? Oh, okay,
0: yeah. it is October
2: but yeah, no, so I worked there and then so you I. You kept
0: that to predict your pamphlet for yourself. Just <laughs> for, for tips in case you ever want to become a vampire. <laughs> or a priest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thinking more likely that vampire <laughs> <laughs> under those two options. Well, why
2: well, combine them? Why not be a vampire priest?
0: That's true. You don't see
2: a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I worked on that and then I worked on a couple of different things in, in, in the Oroctus. And the Arctis was great because. I know Jobs Bridge is not ideal and a lot of people seem to have bad experiences of it but I had a really great experience like mm. they were really good to us everything we did was like beneficial Um we were constantly um, working on involved in things and all the librarians there like Anne and Erin and Jennifer mm. like really kept in contact with since then and like have been really helpful to me like anytime I'm going for a mm. job I'll ask Anne or Erin or you know Jennifer yeah Um. so I, I have nothing but good things to say about my jobs for experience I think experience. it depends on
0: where you go if the place you're going to has people who are willing to act as mentors and you it's a learning experience it can be really positive but if it's someone just looking for you to come in and yeah you know, a job without much structure around it and without being given much instruction or opportunity to learn then can
2: be a negative thing yeah and like we were always asked our input and in things and we mm. had project plans so we knew what was happening um, and what was expected of us but I mean there was never any of us asked to stuff envelopes or mm. you know anything like that that I'm sure people have I know I mean I talk to people who've had bad jobs bridge experiences and it's mm. been awful but for us it was just it was great and they you know they really made us feel part of the team and and just the buzz going in to mm. the Iroctis and buzz you know, the, the Buzz around the Yeah, like. I mean, I'd always you know, when you walk in and you'd see the painting of Michael Collins on the one side and Devil Air on the other and you God know God, sure. it was it just incredible. Yeah. Um, mm. but uh, yeah, so I, I loved it. So I guess that was my my first job was the digitization technician, but my first kind of semi paid job was the was in the Oroctus. Mm. Do you reckon it's, a like, a
1: public-private thing with the job bridge that, like, public institutions that offer job bridge internships are, like, feel more responsible for, like, people having a good experience with the program in general and that, like, both kind of private companies are more likely to just, oh, paper or whatever?
0: I think it depends on who who's in there yeah, I mean, it probably depends on sad, the people yeah. you're working with you know if you go in and you're working with probably if you're working with other librarians who kind of understand that mm. you're early in your career and you know right, you're you're coming in there to, to learn and they want to give you an opportunity to do that then you'll probably be fostered to develop new skills and give right. them some kind of input yeah. about what you want to do but yeah if it's, if it's uh, probably if it's a situation where there might not even be a librarian involved yeah. in hiring if it's a company where they just want somebody to come in and get work done but they're not willing to hire a qualified librarian yeah. it's probably lasting a positive experience
2: yeah so watch out for those ones yeah listeners. <laughs> <laughs> students i thought about you tom uh
1: as you were answering your questions i think what my answer <laughs> was i can't remember um i think
2: oh Oh, I think I know. Was it that uh, job that you got during the MLIS and the working with the brothers? Oh yeah! Fuck yeah. Like, Jesus Christ! Like, <laughs> this
0: is this is like, like, like you're like a couple or something. <laughs> you're telling him what? Yeah. What is? <laughs>
1: <was. laughs> I completely like that was like a year of my life. You completely forgot about. it. Uh, Must have been a great year. <laughs> it actually, was. Um, so, following on <laughs> from my. Tell us. <laughs> no, following on from my, you know, landing on both feet, getting that, like, just really personally invigorating job in the private library, there was a, um, a priory on um, Dorset Street, a Dominican priory, mm. um, who were looking for someone to go in and do a very similar job on one of their libraries or uh, not one of their libraries their library in the priory, and uh, they kind of build it as like oh like a week or two it's worth of work mm. or like two or three weeks uh, work and um, I think I'm not really sure why but I think maybe it was just that like they wanted to you know, some wiggle room in case like the person they hired didn't work out well or like maybe they didn't have the budget allocated but like if they're getting on well with the project, they could get more or maybe it was just a... I don't know what the reason was but I think because it was billed as so little work, a lot of people didn't apply for it or whatever mm. it was um, but I just saw it and I was like, oh yeah, well, a week or two is better than nothing. Mm. Um, so I went, in for, went into it anyway and found that there was a huge amount of work to be done so I was kind of like, guys, I know what you were saying it was like a week or two weeks or three weeks but... Just like a couple of months in this, at least, like, because um, it's basically it's basically a basement room that they wanted to turn into a or well, they had been kind of using as a library, but basically it was just a storage room for all the books. Um, and sorry, uh, the prior acts is like an academic institute for uh, Dominican brothers on their seminary education tour uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what you'd call it um, where basically they spend like a year or two in Dublin and then they go off and they spend a year or two in Cork or maybe even more in Cork which is another Dominican Priory um, sometimes they come from overseas to do it and I think there's a, a certain amount of um, like international communication kind of like oh yeah you guys have room over in Ireland we'll send a guy from we have here from Trinidad over there or whatever mm-hmm. um, and they have classes, essays, same as any other um, college or university, and the library is basically there to support them. In that, um, so it was mostly, um, ph- uh, philosophy books, theology books, um, certain amount of history, but it was mostly philosophy and theology. So. So you like,
0: did get to use your. Yeah. Philosophy.
1: And I think that was that was probably in the interview that was probably a bonding thing for me and the guy interviewing me, because he also did philosophy in UC, and we were kind of like, oh yeah, you did it then, oh, was this guy there when you were doing it, and you know, whatever. Um, and it ended up being really useful when, like, students would kind of come down to you being like, oh yeah, you know, I have this really, um, I'm doing this essay on a guy called Martin Heidegger, like, and anyone who knows philosophy knows that he's, like, notoriously obtuse, uh, and yeah, also, like, basically a Nazi, but anyway. <laughs> um, Oh it's like, yeah, I just don't understand what he means. But this, like, this one specific word, and like, if anyone's read it, they'll know. Like that, just there. Just sometimes the way things are phrased, like they, they're using words like being or time, like but with like a capital B and a capital T or other with a capital O or whatever, and it's like a technical term that like they've defined like, three hundred pages, previously or sometimes. 300 pages like in the future or whatever so you kind of have to keep reading in order to get at what they mean by it um, and so it's really difficult for people to read and uh, especially for students who are new to it to write essays on whatever so it was really great to be able to sit down and go and kind of like oh I remember having to answer an essay like this before like it's really tricky especially if caught up in this one particular thing like whatever I'll throw up like they had no like e resources or anything like that. It was just the books. Like mm-hmm. no access to no database or whatever. So, it, but there was a computer down there where I was doing all the cataloguing on. So, I had internet access. So, um, yeah, you know, I was able to just go through like all the publicly available stuff with them. And so, like times like that when someone will come down, that it was really useful. But um, uh, again, yeah, working on that there was like I was saying is mostly philosophy and theology, but like. There was drips and drops of everything there, um, which was just really rewarding for me to kind of go through and because yes, it has catalog everything that was there, and um, you had to basically like spend five or ten minutes getting to know the book in order to figure out where uh, they wanted it and like as well as the place I was before they were using Dewey, but they kept kind of modified the Dewey a bit because. Mm-hmm wasn't specific enough for them, I guess, um, especially when it came to the religious jubilee headings That like it wasn't enough that they had, because um, like as you can imagine, they have like every book in the Bible like fifty times over, like different editions, different translations, different whatever else. Um, so like, uh, I'd say I probably learned more about Christianity and the Catholic <laughs> the Catholic uh, Church in my time there than I had in like the twenty three or twenty two years prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um didn't change my mind about anything, but like uh it was really fascinating to just see like just the amount of time people have spent dedicated to this like one particular subject over like two thousand years or whatever. Like it was just
2: mm-hmm.
1: mind boggling. Um and some of the essays you get to read in there are like just you kinda like what like I don't know, it's it's just baffling but like I don't know. Um. so some of the things you come across there were baffling but uh, yeah that was that was really a really cool experience um, and as well as that it was just it was the, like one of my first proper jobs basically that like the one um, I did at in BlackRock that was like part-time and like a lot of it was while I was studying somewhere else mm-hmm. or while I was waiting for another thing to begin or whatever so I wasn't able to like sit down and get comfortable And even though this one um, had, like, it was a project, it wasn't there, like, uh, permanently or anything like that, it was still kind of, um, it still felt, because it was such a big project, it kind of still felt a bit more permanent, I guess. Um, And you get talking to everyone there, and, like, you get their various backstories and kind of, like, um, and they're all from around around the world as well, like, and it was really... um, um, it was just really interesting to go in every day like even the shit days where it was like windy and rainy and it was, like, in the end, I was like oh fuck this is terrible like mm-hmm. whatever like once you get in it was um, it, it was really good and they gave me a huge amount of freedom as well to like just do whatever I thought was best to do and mm-hmm. there was like they didn't have a librarian they never did and they weren't going to after I left so it was kind of it was important to like on board all the students and the, the staff members there to like how it worked and using it and why I was making every decision, and that kind of forced me to like reflect on why I was making the decision whenever it's like, Oh, do I really need to do this? Whatever. Um, I mean, like, it could get a bit weird sometimes where they are kind of like, I don't know, when you're working in a religious institution, but not just a religious institution, but like, a, like a fraternity or like a brotherhood or whatever mm-hmm. um and things that they take for granted and things that are really normal for them and you're just like oh this is actually like really weird <laughs> um uh, I don't know it took a bit of getting used to but like whatever it's a it's a life experience and you learn from it I guess but um it's really cool like walking through the halls or whatever and hearing them practicing like their Gregorian chants or whatever and you're just like oh this is really weird but also really cool like uh like in the other room, and it's like oh, 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 but um, yeah. So I was in there for for ages, and um, and I think that wrapped up. Um, it's probably it's probably no, it wasn't it wasn't a year. It was like nine months, I think. Um, it ended up wrapping up. Um, yeah, and that kind of I kind of felt like oh yeah, you know, I gotten a really good slice of a really good chunk of experience, and now we can go get something a bit more substantial or be more reliable but uh, unfortunately that's well, <laughs> easier said than done yeah, um, what's yeah so after that it's, it was a lot of like for it was a lot of just kind of pro bono work just doing whatever you could get your hands on even if it was um, like I helped out with um, the metaphysical society and Trinity just kind mm-hmm. of they had a library of like two or three hundred uh, books journals stuff like that and um, that they had as a library and that they lent out to people but it was like really informal and it's basically just a pile of books that one person said oh yeah you can take that one or whatever and mm. because they knew each other personally they're like oh I remember, I remember, but um cataloging what they had and taking the inventory of it and trying to arrange like specific reading times and then um lending procedures and stuff like that with the staff of, like, the philosophy department in Trinity was, like, interesting to do, uh, and, like, I would have known a lot of them as well from my time um, studying philosophy in UCD, just because yeah, the two departments were quite close, so they would end up being events where students from both uh, programs would be at them, and you could kind of get talking to people and whatever, so it was kind of a nice way of marrying... Um, the undergraduate thing which I figured I'd never use um, and <laughs> like after i kind of like oh yeah I'm never going to be a philosopher so I'm never going to use it so i just, just forget it all. Um, Yeah and then I don't know what else after that.
0: So how did you both get involved in Forgotten Scenes, and yeah. where did that start from? Your involvement with it anyway, how did you both get drawn into Forgotten Scenes, or how did you find out about the Forgotten Zine
2: archive? Yeah. Um well we had to do a capstone project um when we were in, in doing our MLIS and uh I guess for the capstone I mean you know what a capstone is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um the, for the capstone the a lot of the lecturers had came up with ideas for projects. Um, the the whole capstone just kind of remind it's sort of you know, uh reminds me a bit of that TV show The Voice, where, you know, <laughs> the, the lecturers will pitch their. Uh, if they want you to join their team, they'll yeah. pitch their. Idea. And do they
0: spin around dramatically? They, <laughs> you
2: know, they did actually. Man, <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed out on all this because I was like. And I, then I just you didn't say go the, um, with,
0: through
2: auto tuner. Oh, yeah, it's just flying on records. <laughs> Tom Jones is there, oh, it's Jones really, really bald weird. <laughs> But uh, but no no they they came up with pitches for uh, stuff for us to do, um, but we weren't really that gone on anything that they came up with. Um, There's a lot of Arlingus stuff. There's like a couple of different projects that
1: were like Erlingus
2: related around there. Yeah, but there was. Was
0: the course sponsored by Erlingus that year? I wonder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: about
2: I, I think there had been a capstone on, on Aer on the previous year, so maybe it was to do with continuing on that work. <laughs> okay. But yeah, but anyway, none of us were, were that gone on, on their their ideas. Um so uh, one of the girls in our group, Leanne, uh she is from America, from Michigan, and um she came up with the but well, she had the idea of why don't we make a, a zine archive? Um, now there would be a much bigger scene, mm. scene, uh, for, for want of a better word, in, in America, um, and than, than there would be here, especially in, in Michigan. In Michigan, yeah. Um, now we had red scenes, and I think. Well, I. Don't.
1: Yeah, <laughs> she told me it was like
2: a comic book collection.
1: So
0: you were totally new yeah. to zines.
1: So uh, yeah, or yeah I think she kind of she knew she wanted it to be a Zine archive from the mm-hmm. start but like in order to like get people who didn't know what zines were on board to like build it as like a comic book collection or like a pop culture kind of collection I think
2: yeah. so that's how she pitched it to people yeah. within our year uh, we're going to make it like a, rad- a pop culture yeah. uh, archive um, But which I think was always a zine archive but that was yeah. just how oh, she she, mm-hmm. she pitched it um, so yeah, myself and Tom and five others um, were just thought that was a great idea. Um, so we decided to do it, and initially we were going to create like try and build the collection ourselves, try and get people to donate it. Um, but we emailed loads of places to find a, a space to house it, and mm. everyone rejected us. Uh, like lots of them didn't even get back to us. Weird, oh. yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> National <laughs> Library doesn't want to see an archive. Oh. Discrimination. <laughs> yeah. oh, but they well, they did get back to us and they said, Oh, oh yeah, oh, they did. really. <laughs> um, but then I know I we well, we thought about Shomer Spree, and Shomer Spree is this autonomous social center uh, in Dublin. Um, now I used to go this to well, when it was open, they'd have like punk gigs on and stuff, mm-hmm. they could bring your own drink to and they'd have like raves and stuff so it was always great crack to go to but I remember seeing uh, I remember they had a scene collection there but I hadn't remembered that at this stage but I don't know who it was but we just decided to email them anyway mm-hmm. said would you be interested in housing a space and they said well actually we have this collection that we've been looking for people to do something with it for ages mm-hmm. so it was just kind of a meeting of minds and uh, we went in to visit them um, and they gave us free reign of. Um, like, they had about. When it was set up initially, I can go over the history of the collection. Yeah, what's
0: the history of the collection? Because it's actually been around
2: for quite a long time, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been. It was started in 2004 um, by a zinester named Kieran Walsh. Um, now, him and three friends just got together and they decided to make their own um, uh, archive uh, called the Forgotten Zine Archive. And it was just from their own personal collections. They had like one thousand two hundred scenes, uh, and I I think they put that together around the same time that the Bad Books Library was put together. It's like a uh, a library of because
1: it's basically it was basically just a book library, but like oh like to be something like normal books in there, but like most of it would have been like radical politics and kind of like. Specific instructional stuff about like setting up social centres or mm-hmm. like info shops or, um, organising activist events or like protests or like legal stuff maybe mm-hmm. or
2: like I don't know practical material. Yeah. squad. So is
0: this stuff that they felt was missing? I think so. From libraries that I, like, I don't know. If
2: it's explicit.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were just kind of like we want to have this in. Uh, like, it wasn't so much that, like, oh, libraries aren't doing this, so we have to do it. It was more just like, oh, we want to put this together in this place that we have. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't know what
2: the other libraries are doing. We're not really thinking about that. Yeah, it
0: was more resourcing maybe their own community. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, I guess, I don't, I, can't, I don't really know about the Bad Books Library, but I think for the Zena archive, libraries weren't really doing it, and oh, they still yeah. aren't mm-hmm. doing it. So, I mean, they saw this gap there, and... Um, and they decided to fill it themselves um, which is really DIY uh, just, it was I, it, it was brilliant um, and they ran out of squat mm. uh, and then squat closed down in 2005 and it moved to Shomer Spree and Shomer because
1: uh, I think Shomer Spree opened up in 2005 didn't it yeah like after the May Day. yeah um,
2: yeah
1: May Day that year it's like yeah.
2: I think it was in Abbey Street mm. um, and then it moved to Mountjoy Square um, and it stayed there and it went through different The archive went through different phases of people being really interested in it and then people kind of forget about it. Like in 2006, it was brought to Italy as part of Ireland's entry in the, the Venice Biennale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sarah Pierce, an artist called Sarah Pierce, brought it over. There was also another exhibition uh, on in Dublin that it was part of. Um, but then it would go through there'd be phases where it, there was no one really interested and then there'd be you know other times people would, you know catalogue it and yeah. they'd have it there but when we took it or when we went to view it it had been just kind of lying on the landing of Shomra um, mm. and the gathering dust and um, and it I think there had been some sort of a catalogue system to it but it had since got fallen by the wayside Um so there were a lot of like free sheets and like um kind of
1: radical newspapers display. It was like more although it is, I think it was definitely called the Forgotten Zine archive, there were a lot of like it's more like an archive of radical publications and specifically zines, so there was like a lot of just like one page kind of info sheets like you say, or newsletters and stuff like that in there as well. But um yeah, the I think we still have the inventory, the original one and like I think I actually still have Karen Walter's notebook that like was with it all <laughs> and just like <laughs> like all these like notes for like annotated yeah yeah Um. so I must, I must like scan that or something and like put it up if we ever get an act together and put a website together yeah
2: and for those who are not in the know Zine is a I guess it's an independent self-published DIY uh, magazine um, that's kind of Created out of a desire for self-expression rather than profit, so um, basically they can be about anything, mm-hmm. any subject imani- imaginable, um, and people who make them would be called zinesters. They, can, I guess, the term is quite broad because it can incorporate in like comics mm-hmm. or it can incorporate like, like poetry or um, like artist books and mm-hmm.
1: like early. Fandoms and stuff like that used to use it as like ways of circulating fan fiction yeah. and um, short stories and stuff like that as well. Like, beat poets used to use uh, use the format, and then actually punks kind of dominated. Like, yeah, the I 80s, think people 90s. who are like maybe a little bit older, my age, would run zines yeah. from you know, fan zines yeah. particularly punk, fans <laughs> would be quite kind of prolific on the
0: zine. Yeah, but. sure.
1: Soccer's, uh, soccer clubs as well. Love them. Uh, especially over in the UK. Really? Yeah, apparently. Um, we have a couple from like Bray Wanderers and um, one or two others. To, was it Oi Referee or A ah Referee? Uh, no Way Referee. Or No Way Referee, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, there's some great titles. Yeah, yeah. I think. <laughs> what What's the one that, about the, the Dublin city worker? Busman. Bus the Busman,
2: yeah, that's yeah it. Well, that's our oldest it's scene. Adventures. the it, Busman. It's from 1978, and it's a zine about uh, being busmen. It's written by busmen, and mm. it was distributed to bus depots in Dublin, and it's called Busmen. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I, I, I don't know, but I'd say there's a good chance we could be the only uh, Maybe, yeah. archive in the country or something mm. like that, you know, just for for things like for local historians and, and, and stuff it's an invaluable resource um, I wonder if someone in I wonder if like the
1: ITGWU even has because like it started out as like a it was like a like a trade union thing and it was like a, it was like, a, it was like a, there was like a labour focus to it I guess and I think they like rebranded it to be like called Bus Worker I think um, later on um you know it's
0: very interesting to think of something as you know yeah. DIY as a zine going through a rebranding process. Yeah, I mean Can I imagine imagine all the time. Yeah,
1: I think there was the there's one over in Boston, it's like the Boston Phoenix or something that like was a zine and then became a magazine and is now like an online buyers just a blog now, I think. And like loads of zines went that way, like especially regular ones. Um they, like, yeah, started out with started out zines and migrated to blogs or migrated to e-zines or, like, turned into, like, I don't know, all sorts of things. Um, but, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're. Uh, it's very interesting. Like, most zines don't make a past issue, like, two, maybe, uh, if they even have issues at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones that do are kind of notable, I guess, simply because they made it
2: that far. Yeah. Uh, whatever, but, their quality but yeah yeah. But so, uh, just to go back to what, what your, your question uh, yeah I guess we were looking for something to that was a, a bit different to the I guess the traditional capstone um, and we found out about the Zine Archive um, and then we, we just got hooked um, we catalogued it and classified it and kind of relaunched it um, and yeah we've just been involved ever since there was seven of us involved in the capstone um, Tom and myself are the only two from the capstone still actively involved in the Forgotten Zine Archive, Leanne who mm-hmm. kind of came up with the idea, she is still involved in zines but she, she's living in the UK now and I think she's looking to do a PhD on zines and archiving
1: um, Yeah, I'm not sure where that's at that, but yeah, no, she's our like or like embedded zinister or like uh, woman on the street kind of came mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like she's on a uh, set up on assignment I guess sort of, mm-hmm. but uh, kind of, yeah we kind of every now and then like get donations back from her and stuff like that and that's always nice to see but um, or, like consult her or whatever because she worked mm-hmm. in um, Michigan State University who has like one of the biggest uh, zine collections I think in the world they're like I don't know what the number is but it's like in the thousands anyway of right. like ten or fifteen and how big is the zine
0: collection at
2: the moment? about two thousand
1: yeah it's about two thousand we kind of we pared it down and then built it up and uh, kind of um, I don't know when, it, when it would it have been maybe a year ago at this stage um, kind of saying oh you know well this kind of thing you know maybe this isn't really a zine maybe it doesn't belong here maybe it does or whatever and um, as well just going to events like the Dublin Zine Fair or Independence Day or mm-hmm. um, just even like people emailing us it sounds donating like there's stuff
0: there's a really strong community among people who make zines and are interested in zines
1: yeah for sure they, um, yeah like we uh, I think uh, a couple of months after we started kind of publicising that it was Know, back up for business so to speak like we started getting emails from or uh, messages on facebook or uh, people just approaching us in person just being like oh yeah i've got of zines at home like do you want to take them and we're like yeah brilliant like mm-hmm. you know uh, give it here and um yeah since then there's kind of been a steady trickle of like donations but there's always like a support there a support base there for it as well of, like people who have always made zines and they're kind of like oh you know it's great that this is here like I remember zines Mm -hmm. zines are great like you know I want to put my zines in it or whatever and other people who don't know that much about zines but are um, just really into the idea of zines when they hear about it or you know they're uh, working in the art world and they're kind of like oh zines are a great way of um, like producing a really low cost kind of mini portfolio of my own work Mm -hmm. or like um, zines are a great way of just getting information out about this like one specific topic i feel very passionate about or like um they used to like uh, i think a lot of the dublin scenes we have or a lot of the irish scenes we have would have been really um punk music focused or like metal focused where it's like oh you know put together those reviews of albums and interviews of bands and like reviews of shows we were at and like putting them all together into one thing then circulating among fans maybe at other gigs or like outside Central Bank or wherever <laughs> it was Um so yeah I think there's kind of always been a little bit of an undercurrent of zines in like in any I don't know in any kind of subcultural movement or countercultural movement I think zines kind of feature in one way or another mm. um, partly out of necessity but partly out of just kind of it just fits their ethos, I guess. Or yeah, it's so there's like quite
0: a crossover between kind of zines and zine-creating
1: communities
2: and, kind of, I suppose, radicalism. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I, I think the zine community, there is definitely community, but it's quite disparate. I mean, it's not like yeah. people meet up every mm. week to, yeah, sure. to to create scenes, or even there might be different pockets of people who make, like, I don't know, punk scenes, or people who make kind of, mm. I don't know, like... Like com- independent comics and mm. stuff. I mean, there's only a couple of events each year that, that are organized where people will, like zine fairs where people mm. will come together to sell. But I suppose within the community, it's it's quite, there's quite a close connection. Like everyone knows each other. Mm. Um, and even with zine librarians, I think it's like that as well. I mean, mm. there's. I mean, with librarians, it's like that. So, like,
1: yeah. with zine librarians, it's like doubly so. Yeah. Just, yeah.
0: In terms of zine librarians, there's you
2: two and I don't know of any others how many others are there in in Ireland Ireland? well there's like they have zines in Limerick in the Limerick School of Art and Design so there's like Anne Culhan and uh, Stephanie Stephanie, Stephanie, um, who were at the NSL uh, this year Um, Donna well Nival has zines Um, I think they've they've just they started visual Arts. Visual arts yeah they're great like they've kind of been down to speak to them a few times um, but apart from that I don't know if anybody houses them Um there might have been some open war zone in Belfast um, mm. but I don't know for sure um,
1: I suppose yeah it's the kind of thing where unless like you make a considerable effort to like get the word out about it it could be very easy for it to just exist in a local community and for like it not to stretch beyond that Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways where it's just kind of like oh yeah you know this supports the local community that needs to support and whatever and that's kind of good enough and it's all volunteer runs zero budget or whatever Mm -hmm. so like anyone who who is involved is kind of like I don't know they're I don't. Know, it's not their full-time job, I guess. So yeah, it's kind of no, like,
0: nobody's working full-time.
1: Yeah,
2: to like there are actually a of you know, you know, full-time yeah.
0: Zine
1: librarians.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah give give well, it time. Well, if anybody wants to hire <laughs> one or two, yeah, we're always accepting. Yeah.
0: And, and what about the the, um, the Zine Archive at the moment? Where is it How is it now? How? What What do you see being the future for the the Zine Archive, or what would you like to see? in the future for the
2: Zine Archive? Well, I would like to see more libraries actually start their own zine collections because mm. it's very easy to do. I mean, they're relatively cheap to make. Um, you know, if we're looking at ways to get p- patrons into libraries, I mean, zines and public libraries are just match-made in heaven. Mm. Like, if we want to get people to use libraries, what better way than to to house an item that they create.
0: Yeah.
2: Um I mean you can organise zine making workshops really, really quickly. And I think librarians should be encouraging people to use their imagination and to make stuff. Um and with zines it's just a a, a really easy, cheap way to do this. Um and for academic libraries as well, um because I mean if you for uh, an academic library used to start uh, a zine collection. It would essentially be shaped by students, mm. and and you'd have an unfiltered, uncensored look at a students' life within a campus. Yeah. So to see this grow over years to get students look would be a work of art in itself, mm. and it would be so easy to do, Um But even aside from that, I mean, I mean, zines are really important for, or can be used really easily to teach students about things like information literacy and you know it's it, there's so many uh, different courses that you could do with them and um, so it, what I would like to see and what I guess one of the things we've been doing with the archive is just promoting the medium just to try and encourage other libraries or librarians to to, to take a chance and, and start their own collection because it's mm. it's so easy and cheap to do and it's like it's it's creative and it's it's just it's a no-brainer for me mm. and even if you don't want to start a zine collection why not start something else unique mm. you know we, if we want people to use our library, why not think outside the box and start creating these really unique you know cheap collections to, to bring people in
0: Yeah, I think a lot of libraries are, are picking up on that and kind of yeah. into that makerspace and, um, environment and offering spaces for yeah. yes. um, creative yeah. activities
2: yeah and it's great Mm. more than need to do it though (laughs) so I think
0: we'll kind of uh, draw things to a close now Um, but I just usually ask people at the end of talking to them if they have any advice that either they wish they were given or that they would give somebody going into the profession other than to start a zine archive what would you
2: Mm.
0: what would you tell people to do or what advice would you
2: wish
0: you'd been given heading into the profession yourself
1: take every bit of be very proactive about um, developing your skills and acquiring new experiences and especially when you're like if you're a recent graduate or you're just about to graduate from library school or you haven't even gone into library school yet and you're still quite young now's the time to like do crazy weird stuff Mm -hmm. that you won't get away with doing later on maybe Um, and to like do all that stuff but think about the principles behind them and why they're doing it why you're doing it and like understand that like the same principle can kind of lead you down really mainstream routes that are great and fine but they can also lead you down really exciting and new and interesting routes that people haven't explored fully maybe or um, I don't know I guess just really have your eyes open and ears to the ground with opportunities and mm. don't be afraid to kind of, if you don't see anything out there, to go out and make something happen happen yourself. Um, because, like, really anyone, like, almost anyone can do, um, can do that, like, to just kind of, I don't know, it's, it's just getting up and doing it. Really. Yeah. yeah and just to have
2: confidence in yourself. Yes. <laughs> easier said than done, I know. But, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I guess I would tell people to try and uh, just try and uh, focus on on things that you're interested in and and working on things that you're interested in and it doesn't if you're if it's not part of your you know your nine-to-five your day-to-day library job I mean you can still still um, you know incorporate do things voluntarily or Mm -hmm. like with the zine archive we've I mean it's been completely voluntary but we've through it we went to Berlin last year we got funded to go to Berlin uh, to present at a conference we've organised exhibitions we've organised zine fairs we've done so much I haven't been paid for any of it but it's been fulfilling and rewarding Mm. and I think you know it it,
0: seems like it's kind of brought together personal and professional interests
2: yeah yeah I've definitely gained as much from it personally as I have professionally Mm -hmm. and that's a great thing and I think if anyone has an interest I mean that, you know, you don't have to be paid for everything. If you're, if you, if you want to do something in librarianship and you can do it voluntarily, do it voluntarily because mm-hmm. it could be a way of putting yourself out there and getting recognised. And yeah,
0: you don't know what could come from it. Okay, guys, thanks very much for joining me on uh, Librarian's no Alight. I will release you back to the wild. <laughs> <laughs> thanks thanks very much plans. for having
2: us. Yeah, thanks.
0: Thanks again to Mick and Tom for being such entertaining guests. If you want to find out more about the Forgotten Zine Archive or zines in general, check them out on Facebook and on Twitter, Forgotten Zine Archive. Uh, A reminder that the ASL 2016 conference programme and registration for the conference, which will happen on February 11th and 12th next year, will be live on November 2nd. We have some amazing speakers lined up, so check out aslibraries.com for more details or follow at aslibraries on Twitter. Librarians Allowed is produced by Laura Rooney-Ferris. Music and additional editing is by Michael Ferris.